Uh, but I am not going to say that I'm a better pilot than my wife, even though I was a better pilot than my wife, um, because I am also a happily married man who just celebrated my 15 year anniversary and would like to stay there. Diz Runs Radio episode 947 starts in three, two, Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Well then, here we are at the uh, tail end of another month, and that only means one thing around here. It's time for a little uh, little Q&A, shall we? You ask, I answer. Last Friday of each month, that is how we do. And seeing as today, at least as the day that this comes out, is the last Friday of the month, let's, uh, let's have some fun. So if you're new around these parts, like I said, this is something we do every month. And uh, if you have questions, running or otherwise, if you have questions that you would like me to answer in future Q&A episodes of the show... Uh, send me your questions. I'm always looking for them. The best way to ask the questions in such a manner that I'm not going to lose them in the shuffle. Like if you email them to me, you hit me on social media, I'll do my best, but no guarantees. The The guaranteed way to get your question on the show is to join the Facebook group. Uh, we have our own little private group uh, in Facebook land, which I'm not the biggest fan of Facebook in general, but I got to say, and I'm biased, admittedly biased, our Facebook group's legit. Uh, so we'd love to have you come join the party there. And somewhere in the middle of each month, uh, I put out a post that says, hey, what are your questions this month? Then uh, the peanut gallery chimes in with all of their questions. And then, you know, at the end of the month, the last Friday, here we go. I, I, I fire through them somewhat rapid fire style. Although if you're new here, if you're new around here, you'll, you'll figure out real quickly that rapid fire is not not my style. Uh, you know, we, we take five questions, 50 questions, either way, it's going to be, we're going to be around for a while. So buckle up and, and, uh, have some fun. Uh, but that's the best way to do it. Dizruns.com slash Facebook is the link to join the Facebook group. Or of course you can just search for the Dizruns tribe. Next time you're on Facebook, uh, ask to join, we'll let you in. And, uh, as long as you don't go spam crazy, we'll let you stay. And, uh, hopefully you'll, you'll crack some jokes, have some fun and, uh, participate in future months Q and A's by, uh, asking some questions. So, uh, that's, that's where we are today. Uh, we got a, a decent list of questions, although it's, it's a little bit, uh, a, a slight reduction in the number of questions as has been of late, which I'm okay with. Uh, we'll see, we'll see how, what that does to the length of the episode though, right? Like still could be a two hour episode might only be an hour and 10. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but let's let's dive in. So the first question comes from Lewis, who asks, uh, says, serious question. How early should I run to beat the heat now that it's creeping up on us here in Northwest PA? Um, I mean, serious question, not so serious answer, Lewis, as early as it takes, as early as it takes. Um, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, and, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, that hot is relative, right? So it doesn't matter where you are. Uh, if you're in Northwest PA, you're in Seattle, you're in Florida, Texas, you're in Kansas, N- Nebraska, New England, like wherever you are, as summer is approaching, at least here in the Northern Hemisphere, it's summertime now, or it's getting to be summertime at least. And during the summer, you're going to have some hot weather. Now, for those that uh, maybe made this somewhat foolish, although I'll, I'll stand by the choice to live in Florida uh, because of the winter. Uh, not so much the summer, but I'll, I'll stand by my choice to live in Florida due to the winter months. Uh, but for some of us, 
you know, the, the summer heat issue, it's a 24 seven thing for the better part of six or eight months, right? Like, like for me getting up early to beat the heat, isn't so much to beat the heat. It's just to beat the sun. Like it's not that much hotter. I mean, it is, but it's not like it's, it's 10 or 15 degrees difference between the high of the day and the low of the day. So we're talking, you know, 75 to 90, um, but 75 with no sun better than 90 with sun, right? So I get up early for the most part during the week, uh, even on the weekend, although the weekend, the long run, of course, it stretches out a little bit. So there's a little bit of sunshine going on, uh, but I get up early to try to beat the heat that way. For, for those of you that don't have eight months of solid summer, sounds like you, Lewis, um, maybe you have a, a, a better window depending on, on how it works out to where, you know, growing up in Northern Michigan, like I did, we had like that one week or maybe 10 days where it was, where it was, you know, 75 degrees all throughout the day. And, you know, it might get up into 85, 90, 95 during the day, but it was still going to be plenty warm, you know, at at four o'clock in the morning. But most of the summer, like it might get down into the, the mid to low sixties, which is pretty pleasant running weather. If you ask me, uh, so, so in those, you know, for outside of that week or 10 days where it was pretty much hot 24 seven in Northern Michigan, like you could, you could not have to get up that early to beat the worst of the heat. Now, obviously again, heat's relative. If you think 70 degrees is, is pretty hot, then you might still want to get up at four o'clock in the morning when it's to take advantage of that time when it's 63 or 64. But if you're like, Hey, I can get up at seven and run at, at seven o'clock, seven to eight. And it's, it's only, you know, 68, 70 degrees, not too bad, better than the 90 degrees during the middle of the day. That works to me. That works to you. Your mileage may vary. So, so that's why the, the semi unserious answer, but it's still a serious question or serious answer to your question, Lewis is how early do you need to get up or how early should you get up? It depends on how early you need to get up to beat the heat. As far as where, where is your cutoff? Right? Where is it too hot to run anymore? I would wager, and again, this is my personal opinion, the same temperature without the sun is a lot cooler than the same temperature with the sun. So if it's going to be plenty warm, if it's already kind of pushing you to the too hot level, you might want to get up before the sun gets gets going, certainly before it gets too high, and try to get your miles in then. Um, but it just kind of depends. And, and of course, it also depends on what the weather forecast is, to, because Again, drawn on my experience in northern Michigan, which I imagine is somewhat similar to northwest PA, maybe not exactly the same, but but somewhat close, uh, it could be 85 degrees today and, and a high of 50 tomorrow, right? So 85 today, I might get up early. 50 tomorrow, hey, I'm sleeping in, getting my run at 10 o'clock in the morning because it's still only going to be 51 degrees. Ain't no, no factor there. So, you know, you, you might not have to be in a serious rotation of getting up early all the time, but keep an eye on the weather forecast and then just kind of know where where is your cutoff line. And do what you got to do on on that side of things. So I know that's not a specific answer, Lewis, but hopefully that kind of helps you get your gears thinking and, and maybe not even feeling like you have to have a certain time every day. It can be maybe a gradient as far as what time you have to get up. And, and obviously then the other part that creeps in is life. You know, what time do you have to get going to work or what time do you have to get your kids dropped off at, at daycare or school or whatever, whatever things you have going on during the day that impacts it as well. So uh, just try to find the balance, do the best you can, and uh, don't don't overheat this summer, Lewis. That's for sure. Uh, next question, also from Lewis. Smart Alec question, and he's, he, he hit the nail on the head on this one. How are those guitar lessons in that book coming along? Well, funny you should ask, because, uh, you know, about the same as about the same as has been the case for the last several months. Um, 
I have, you know, dabbled on the guitar a little bit more this month than I have uh, the, the previous couple of months. So that's that's good and nice to nice to do a little uh, a little strumming, a little picking. Um, feel like like I didn't lose too much after not playing the guitar very much for a couple months, other than some calluses, which that kind of sucks. Like I lost some of the, the maybe not like firm calluses, but at least you know the the fingers. Uh, are a little more sensitive now than they were in like January, February. And so you start sliding around a little bit and all of a sudden it's like, damn, like, ah, that, that hurts. And so then you gotta take a couple days off there. But otherwise, you know, the, the, I guess because I wasn't very good at guitar to begin with, I didn't have very far to go. So I'm, I'm not really that much worse. I don't think after a couple months off, but it's been fun to get back in there. You know, it's still, still nobody's definition of virtuoso probably never will be, but I enjoy it. That's all that matters. So kind of back sort of back on the horse there, maybe not fully on, but, but getting there, uh, as far as the book, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I have all the excuses in the world. I just haven't made it the priority, right? I haven't made it, uh, made it something that I expect myself to do, demanded myself to do uh, every day. Uh, lots of thoughts. I've written several chapters in my head. Uh, haven't verbalized them, haven't written them down, haven't done anything to actually be productive there. So so as far as actually, how's that book coming along? Yeah, I, you know, not. It's not. Um, it will, but I don't know when, you know, and, and it would be it would be ridiculous for me to, uh, to try to, to say that, oh yeah, you know, uh, you know, by the, by the fall of, I don't know, by the fall of this year. No, no. Um, but stay tuned. Eventually I'll have uh, a good answer for that and be able to say that, Hey, you know, I got X, Y, Z done and, and, you know, wrote 5,000 words or whatever. Um, we're just not, not there yet. And, uh, you know, like I said, I can make more excuses, but What's what's the point? Uh, but thanks for the questions, Lewis. Ho- I really appreciate it. Hope the the first one at least helps a little bit. Uh, the next question comes from Rick, uh, who's recovering from some surgery. Hopefully, he's starting to feel better, getting to, getting close to getting to be able to run again if he's not already. Uh, but I, I'm assuming that that's kind of uh, part of the reason for his question. So, what hobby slash activity would you pick up if you were no longer able to run? Um, I hate this question, Rick, not because, you know, nothing personal, of course, but I just, I, I don't want to have to imagine a world where running is not a viable option for me. Um, you know, it very well could happen at some point, very well could happen tomorrow, you know, hopefully not, but I suppose it it could. Um, but I think that, that to, to kind of skirt answering the question a little bit, I think it's one of those things that it really depends on what, what reasons I can't run anymore and what, restrictions may be in place because of that, you know, not to get too dark and hopefully not to jinx myself. But like, if I got hit by a car and I was paralyzed from the waist down, that would limit the type of activities or hobbies or things like that, that I'd be able to do. Right. Um, but assuming that I was no longer going to run, but physically I'm capable of doing whatever. Um, I think that, that from an from an exercise perspective, um, Probably I'd, I'd focus a bit more on strength training and a bit more on yoga, which I, I, I kind of laugh when I, when I think of that, because to me, those two don't necessarily go together, but, but maybe they kind of do. Um, but I think those would be kind of my, my two kind of focuses for exercise. Uh, but there'd, there'd probably be a fair bit of, of spin, you know, spin biking. I, I don't think I'd be become like a big road cyclist. Um, but I, I think I'd probably spend a little bit more time on the bike too, just to, to get some cardio work done. Um, but at least right now while running is an option, like I don't like to be on the bike for a long period of time, like 20, 30 minutes. I can handle that much longer than that. And it's like, eh, eh. 
And maybe if, if that was the only option, maybe that, that would become more of a thing. And I, you know, kind of develop the, uh, you know, the, the saddle soreness wouldn't be as, as bad. And, and, and I kind of, you know, toughen up on the, on the backside there. Um, I don't know. I don't know, but the, like, those would be probably the exercise activities I'd lean into the most. Uh, but as far as like other hobbies, other activities, other things to pick up the slack, I mean, of course I'd do something. I, I, I'm certainly not the type that does real well with just sitting around doing nothing. Um, I can do that for a little bit, but after a while, like I, I do go a little bit stir crazy. Um, so I, I think that probably inst- again, and this is, this is me saying this with the obvious situation that I don't have to follow through with it right now. And hopefully don't, won't have to for, for several decades. But, um, if I couldn't run anymore and had all this extra time somehow that, that developed because of that, um, I don't know that I'd have something that I would like consistently do to fill the void, but it'd be probably multiple things that would kind of rotate a little bit. So I think I would, you know, kind of areas where I feel like I'm, I would like to spend more time, but don't because I don't necessarily have the time or I'm unwilling to prioritize it in certain ways. Um, I would like to do more like gardening and, and, you know, landscape work around the house and kind of some of that type of, of, you know, getting outside and, and trying to, to develop a bit more of a green thumb. Although I, I'm halfway decent with the plants and the gardens and the dirts and the things like that. Uh, but I think that would be something that I would like to do more with and, and certainly would like to do more with it at, at current date. Uh, but it's not high enough priority to, to get there. Uh, but that would be something that might, might interest me a little bit more. Um, certainly I love, love doing some puzzles. Uh, and again, I don't, I don't prioritize that as, as much as I could or should, maybe not should as I could. Um, but if I couldn't run, like I'd probably do puzzles a bit more. Um, I don't know, maybe work on writing a book. Like I, you know, I don't know, but it would probably rotate through. There'd probably be a time when I'd like do puzzles for a few weeks and then I'd kind of maybe go outside and do some, some yard work or maybe, maybe become a little bit more handy around the house with like home improvement projects or things like that. Like, like I just, I, I wouldn't be able to keep still. So I don't know if there'd be one overarching, I think I kind of said this already, but I don't know if there'd be one overarching hobby or activity that would fill the void, but I'd, I'd probably dabble in a bunch of things, you know, dabble with the guitar a little bit more, dabble with this, dabble with that. Um, just to try to stay a little bit active. Um, but like I said, hopefully don't have to, uh, be confronted with those decisions anytime soon. And, and hopefully Rick, you'll be, you'll be, uh, you know, continue to be on the mend and, and continue to get back into it, uh, so that you can get back to, to running a bit more often, not have to worry about other things as well. But thank you for the question, sir. Really appreciate it. Next, next question comes from Samantha. She says, this is probably, probably definitely been asked before, but what do you eat slash consume during the course of a half marathon? First and foremost, Samantha, I love the way you hedged your question because I do the same thing. I do the same thing where always most of the time or probably definitely or absolutely maybe, you know, like, like you definitely hedged there. This has probably definitely been asked before and I'm on board with it because like I said, I, I definitely almost all the time do the same thing. So, uh, very, very well done putting a smile on my face there with how you asked the question. But then, uh, as far as getting to, to answer the question, what do I eat during the course of a half marathon? Um, I'm going to give you my answer and then I'll, I'll branch off a little bit, but I, I really don't eat anything during the course of a half marathon. Um, and there's, there's some reasons for that. One is, is being mostly fat adapted. Um, I, I don't feel like I need fuel for something like a half marathon, um, honestly, I don't know that I feel like I need fuel for a marathon, but there's, there's layers there, but you know, but, but I'm not saying that it's, that's how everybody should be. But if we look at the physiology of the equation, uh, even if you're not fat adapted, 
which I don't know your situation, Samantha, but I know there's folks that are listening that, that certainly aren't. Uh, so, so for the, for everybody kind of just general informational purposes here, um, in general rule of thumb. So there's going to be some variance here, but the rule of thumb is that we can store enough glycogen and glucose in our, in our muscles, in our liver, uh, in our blood to be able to, to fuel moderate to high intensity activity for somewhere between 90 minutes and two hours. So if you're running your half marathon and 90 minutes is pretty fast for a half marathon. And by, by pretty fast, I mean, it's well faster than anything I've come close to ever running. Um, but if you're in that 90 minutes to two hours range, even if you're maybe a little bit closer to two hours or even two hours and 10, like you probably don't really have to worry about bonking or hitting the wall during a half marathon. Now, if you're out into two and a half hours, three hours, something like that. And obviously there's no shame in that game. Like wherever you are, that's awesome. But if you're, if you're into that three, you know, two and a half, three hours plus for a half marathon, like you're, you're more likely going to need some fuel, especially if you're more of a, of a sugar burner, uh, than, than a fat adapted type of person. So in those cases, you may need something, but you probably don't need much because even, you know, it's not like there's a hard stop at two hours and now all of a sudden your body shuts down because you haven't fueled because you're, you're probably not hammering at, at a high enough level to where two hours is quote unquote, all you'll, you'll be able to do. You're going to be burning some fat, even if you're not a fully fat adapted athlete. So there's, there's, there's like a bleed in time where, you know, two hours you might start to fade, but like, and, and I'm, these numbers are loose, of course, but maybe at two hours you start to fade, but you could, you could still keep going just fine for two and a half hours or three hours even. Um, so again, so technically you maybe wouldn't need any fuel, but at the same time, if you're trying to finish, finish hard and, and really race well, um, having a little extra fuel, having a little extra something isn't a bad, isn't a bad option. And it may be helpful to finish the race strong as well. And, and it may be helpful even for me. Like, again, I say that I don't eat anything or don't consume anything during the course of a half marathon. But if I'm going to be fully honest, if I were to go out at the next half marathon I run, which I have no idea when that's going to be, but let's, let's say I've got a half scheduled for this fall. If I'm going to go out and just try to hammer and try to PR and run as fast as I possibly could, there's a better than zero chance that I'm either going to take some tailwind with me and have some, some type of liquid calories that way. Or at some point, maybe a couple points during the race, I'm going to hit the, the Gatorade table or the whatever drink sports drink table they have and have a little bit of, of, you know, Gatorade, Powerade, whatever they've got. Um, you know, maybe at mile five and mile eight or something, you know, I don't know exactly where, but, but somewhere in that range, I'm probably going to hit a couple of, of shots of Gatorade, uh, just to kind of give me that little extra boost. Do I need it? No. Would I do it if I was trying to hammer? Almost assuredly. Okay. So to try to answer your question, what do I eat or consume during the course of a half marathon? It'd be, it'd be a little bit of sports drink more than likely. Um, does that mean that that's all you should have? Does that mean that you shouldn't have some beans or some chews or some gels or a, a orange slice or what? No, you, you do what you do. What works for you. Again, from a physio, from a purely physiological standpoint, you probably don't need much, but you're probably going to benefit from a little. But you just need to trial and error and kind of figure out what works best for for you. All right. Now, the longer you go, the more you're going to likely need. So you start getting into the marathons and the ultras and things like that. You're certainly going to need more. 
Um, and again, if you're if you're a two and a half, three hour, three and a half hour half marathoner, you're probably going to need some some fuel along the way. At least you're going to want some fuel along the way. Um, but it's all about figuring out what works best for you and not worrying as much about what works best for me. Um, because you know, as as, as well documented, me saying that I don't do well with gels at all because I'm a, I'm a textured eater and I can't like, it's, it literally is difficult for me to gag down a gel. Like it's, it's a struggle. So, but if you, Samantha or anybody else, if you, if you don't have that problem and if you, heaven forbid, you actually like gels, which I know there's a few of those crazy people out there, like for you to say that, that, oh, I have a gel and that's what you should try. Like that wouldn't work for me. Does not compute. So for me to say that a couple sips of, of fluid is all I would take in may or may not work for you based on any number of factors. So I guess the best answer here is to trial and error, trial and error, try some different things, experiment with some different brands, different products, real foods, more manufactured fake foods, which are the gels and the chews and the drinks and the things like that. Um, but kind of figure out what, what works best for you, what's easiest to carry, uh, or what, what is available at most races. Like, like some of those factors come into play as well, because, you know, if you train on one thing and then you get to, to race day and they don't have any of that stuff and you didn't bring it with you because you assumed that they would have, you know, gels available or things like that, which typically they do, but you never know. Um, you know, you don't want to be up, a, up a Creek without a paddle. So, uh, experiment with it, play with it. My advice in general is to fuel as little bit as possible just because you, it reduces the risk of tummy upset. But at the same time, if you need to fuel, fuel. Okay. So I don't know if I answered it. If I talked myself into a circle, if I, if I tried to answer and then backed out and went in a circle and circled around a few more times and then tried to pull back in for any, it, I don't know. Um, but, but hopefully somewhere in there, Samantha, it, it helps a little bit. Um, and if you have further questions, please feel free to ask, but thank you for this question. Really appreciate it. Next question comes from Karen advice for first time marathoner doing Chicago in October. And I'm petrified. Oh, Karen, welcome prematurely, but welcome to club 26.2. Uh, it'll be, it'll be exciting to, to have you join the, join the ranks of the marathoners. Uh, not that again, clearly not that anybody needs to run a marathon or should, or has to, or anything like that, but you're signed up for it. That's awesome. And, uh, I get being nervous. I get being a little bit scared, but you're going to, you're going to do it. You're going to be fine. Um, here's my advice. Have fun, have fun, which with where you are right now, being petrified may, may seem like a reach. I get it. Here's, here's that's, that's the first and foremost advice. Have fun peeling back the layers a little bit. Um, I think a big part of having fun in any race, but especially in something that's got, that's a little bit scary. That's, that's a long distance race, like a marathon, a big part of having fun is to do the work leading up to it. So make sure you're getting some good training in. If you need some help, I know, I feel like I know a guy that actually did write a book one time um, that, that is just for helping people train for their, their races, specifically halves and full marathons. Uh, so if you, if you haven't checked out Be Ready on Race Day yet, uh, maybe that's something that would be worthwhile. Uh, you know, if you need a coach, I know a guy that does that as well. Um, but obviously there's tons of great resources out there, tons of, of training plans from the, the free downloadable ones, which I'm not the biggest fan of, but hey, they're, they're a starting point uh, to having people customize them for you. But all that to say, training and being being fit and, and progressing intelligently uh, is a big part of making sure that you're able to have fun. Coming from a guy who thought that 14 miles the week before his first marathon was plenty of training, um, I can tell you that I did not have fun in that race. Specifically, did not have fun for the last 11 to 12 miles 
because I was so undertrained that having fun at that point was out the window. That was not, it was not happening. It was misery. And I don't want you to have that experience, Karen, because, uh, that sucked. That sucked. So make sure you get your training in, train intelligently, um, build your base up. And, and then, you know, if you're confident that you can finish and confident that you can finish without like breaking your body, which is what training does, uh, then it's a lot easier to just relax and have fun. And then, you know, the fact that you run in a race like Chicago, um, I mean, not that I've run Chicago, but it's obviously it's a big city race, uh, world major, lots of spectators. And assuming that that still happens this year with lots of spectators, lots of, of, you know, pomp and circumstance due to, to hopefully, you know, things being even more safe to do that than they are right now. Um, just enjoy it. Like soak it all in. Don't worry about your time at all. Just get out there and, and have a strategy in place as far as how fast you want to run and uh, you know where you're going to take walk breaks or if you're going to take walk breaks or whatever. But then just soak in the environment, soak in the atmosphere, the the thousands of other runners, the the tens of thousands of spectators that will hopefully be allowed to be out. Um, you know, the different parts of, of seeing a big city, which from what I understand is a big part of running the big city races is, you know, going through the Chinatown and going through the business district and going through this area and going through that area. So just like soak it all in and don't worry about the time. Just finish, have fun the best you can. And then if you decide to run a second marathon somewhere down the road, which again, you don't have to, but if you decide to, then maybe if you want to, you can certainly run your second marathon for fun as well. But then if you want to, then maybe you get a little more about, all right, now I know what to expect. I've been there before. I'm a little bit less nervous. Now maybe you want to set a time goal. But if you're your first, first marathon, train better than I did, which is a low, low, low bar to, to, to uh, clear. But train better than I did. Don't have a time goal. Just try to have fun. Just try to have fun as much as you can. It's not going to be easy. Push yourself. You're going to be stepping outside of your comfort zone. Trust the process, trust the training, most importantly, have fun. So hope that, uh, hope that helps, Karen. And if you have other questions along the way as you build up for uh, the Chicago Marathon, let us know because we'll do one of these in June, in July, in August, in September. So there's at least four months worth of Q&As. You can put questions in, get some help with you uh, along the way, uh, or just keep your confidence up, whatever it takes, whatever we can do, let us know. Thanks for the question. Next question comes from Thessaly, and I'm surprised she, I'm not surprised she chimed in, but you know, she had her question stolen by Lewis, but so she came up with something different. Well, here we go then. Uh, have you been on a Ragnar or other multiple leg relay team? Would you do it again? Could we please create a Diz Runs team in the next year? So, Thessaly, no, I have not been on a Ragnar team. So I guess that, that takes the second question out or any type of multiple leg relay team. It's something I'm interested in doing. Um, and, and here's the, here's the truth. And first, before we get to that, shout out to Michaela for like the best troll job ever, uh, in the reply to the comments where she said, you know, you don't have to do them on treadmills or that they don't have those races on treadmills. Right. Because as we all know, or if you've been around for a minute, you know, that Thessaly is uh, miss treadmill herself. Uh, so, so kudos to Michaela for, uh, the epic trolling that went on right there. And, uh, you know, that's the, that's, that's, that's our group in a nutshell is that, you know, you can ask a question, People can, can have a good-natured laugh at your expense. And Thessaly, of course, laughed at it as well uh, because it was, it was spot on. Um, but that's, that's, that's what I love about our group is that we can have that type of fun with each other. With, with each other. So, Michaela, hat tip to you for sure. Um, but, but Thessaly, back to your question. I've not done it. I would love to. Uh, I'm definitely interested in it. Um, can we create a Diz Runs team in the next year? Absolutely. The key to that, to that part of the question is we is not going to massively include me 
Okay. Um, if it does, like if I'm the one that has to create the team and organize the logistics and do all those types of things, um, it'll happen, but there'll probably be a book that's written before that. There might be a first grader that graduates from college before that happened. Like, like I would love to do it, but I'd be disingenuous if I was going to say that I had the bandwidth to do it right now or that it would be a priority enough for me to do it right now. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say is if you or someone else wants to like take up the cause and plan things out, um, and not even like, like, I mean, you wouldn't have to plan much, but just organize, get, make sure we had enough people to form a team, figure out the location, figure out those types of, of logistical things. And I can more or less just show up. I mean, obviously I'd be there and I'd love to, to do it and hang out. I think it'd be awesome. Um, I just don't have the bandwidth right now to, to do all that stuff. So I'll put a plug out there for the, the Florida trail Ragnar. And I know I've mentioned this before. The Florida trail Ragnar is like 20 miles from my house. Um, so I like, I kind of have to clear this by Rebecca, I'm sure. And it's in like December. So we got a little bit of time this year to figure it out, or we can even look to, to 2022. Um, but like, I'm sure we could have some type of cookout or some type of after party at, at our house or whatever. Um, I just don't have the, the, the wherewithal to plan it right now. So if that's something that might be interested for you to take on Thessaly or anybody else, um, and I'm not saying it has to be the Florida Ragnar, but you want to guarantee that I'm going to be able to be there. Pick one that's 20 minutes from my house. And, and I, there's no way I'm saying no. Right. Um, so yeah, the, the ball is in someone's court, maybe yours, maybe somebody else's, but if, if we can put a team together, um, I would, I would be, I would be honored to be a part of it. You know, you can use my name and I mean, not be a part of it. That's cool too. Uh, but I would love to be a part of it. Um, just, you know, keep me posted, keep me in the loop and, uh, let's make it happen. All right. Uh, but thank you for the question, Thessaly. And, and, uh, you know, if we, if we need to talk about putting a team together, let's talk and let's put a team together and feel free to, to take that, take that on for the most part. And, uh, I'll chip in and mention it and plug it and we'll get some people to, to do it. Right. Uh, next question from Chantel. Uh, what does recovery look like after your first marathon? Can I get back to working out as soon as I'm feeling good? So Chantel, it, it's, that's a, a very good question and something that, uh, you know, again, the, like a lot of things, it's, it's hard to give a specific answer, but here's, here's my take. All right. After your first marathon, I wouldn't plan on working out too soon. Um, but it, it, it depends on, on some variables, like specifically, you know, kind of getting back, um, to Karen's question, you know, how did your training go? If your training went really, really well and you had a good base of fitness and you were running the marathon, first marathon, mostly for fun, not really pushing the pace, not really overextending yourself too much. Um, you can probably get back to, to working out pretty quickly because it probably won't take that long to recover after the race. Now there's no guarantees of that, but in theory that, that should be okay. Um, you know, I, I think that, that the recovery after a marathon, a lot of times, um, it's, it's some sore glutes, some sore quads, uh, maybe some sore calves. At least that's my experience. Um, and it, it depends again, it depends on how training went, how fast you tried to run, what the topography looks like. Is it mostly flat? Lots of Hills, like those types of things are going to, going to cause some variance. But you know, as far as, as re, what it looks like, I think for me, and you get different people that, that 
I don't want to say argue different people that, that make some different points or have some different beliefs or different ways of, of going about it. And I don't necessarily think they're wrong. It just doesn't jive with my kind of philosophies, but that movement, easy movement is pretty helpful with the recovery process. And I agree with that, you know, getting the blood flowing a little bit, getting your muscles contracting a little bit, even though there's, there's some stiff and some soreness, assuming there's not like bona fide pain, you're just muscle, muscle soreness. Um, you know, getting some movement helps with the recovery process. Um, I don't think that that, I don't think that it's the best idea to go out and go for an easy run the next couple of days after a marathon, maybe even more than that. I know some people are like, yeah, run the next day. Absolutely. It'll help work the soreness out. Uh, I mean, it can help, but I don't think it's any more beneficial than going for a good walk, uh, getting in the pool and, and doing some swimming or treading water. If, if that's an option, uh, going for a bike ride or getting on the spin bike and moving your legs that way. I think that's a, a the reason I think that those options are better is that it's, it's working the body a little bit differently, working the muscle a little bit differently. There's no pounding that's really going on there. And you know, when you're post 26.2 miles, especially the first time you've done 26.2 miles, like it's good to give your body a little break. You dive back into to full training too quickly. And there's no guarantees. You're going to get injured. Just like there's no guarantees that if you wait two weeks that you're not going to get injured when you start training again. But you know, the more time you let your body recover, the less likely that injuries are going to happen. So if you can stress your body slightly differently and, and not even stress too much, cause you want to keep things easy, just get some blood movement, you know, blood flowing, heart beating a little bit, things like that. But if you stress your body differently by doing the bike or swimming or taking the dog for a walk or things like that, less force, less pounding, less stresses helps can help to speed the process along. As far as how long to wait to get back to, to actual good working out. Um, you know, I mean, I'm going to stand by my pain-free plus three recommendation, which is to wait until daily life is pain-free. So that's going up and down stairs is getting up and down out of a chair, sitting down on a toilet, things like that, that, that again, at least in my experience, I can feel pretty good when I'm walking the dog. And then I go to walk down a flight of stairs and I practically fall because it's like, Oh Lord, my quads are still there. Or you try to sit down on the toilet and like, Oh, okay. Okay. Still not, still a little, still a little soreness going on in there. Uh, so, you know, kind of keeping those, those thoughts in mind. And once, once all that's pretty much behind you, then give yourself three more days, which sometimes that means that it's, you know, five days post-marathon. Sometimes it's seven, sometimes it's 10, but those extra three days are just kind of a buffer. Like you could probably work out and maybe you could do some, some light strength training or do some yoga, do something that's a little bit more intense, but maybe it's just still not running yet. Um, Again, and I'm, and I'm admittedly, I'm conservative in this, in this situation, right? Like I'm, I'm probably more conservative than I need to be certainly more conservative than some other running coaches that I know and who I don't like have problems with. And I think that they know their stuff and they're great coaches. Um, but I just kind of feel like what's, what's the rush other than we're runners and we want to run, but big picture waiting an extra three days after you're pain-free is like nothing. It doesn't, it doesn't decrease your fitness at all. And getting back three days early doesn't improve your fitness at all, but it waiting those extra three days really helps to mitigate that risk of injury. So to me, you know, pain-free plus three, however long that takes is, is a safe bet. Um, but you won't really know until after the marathon and, and hopefully you don't come out of it feeling too rough, but if you do give yourself plenty of time, do some other stuff, do some other cross training, some other working out. And then, you know, once you're, once you're feeling pretty good, once you're pain-free, maybe plus three as well then kind of ease back into running and, uh, you know, and, and, and enjoy the process of, of p- the post marathon glow, you know, getting just like Karen, the, the club 26.2 and, uh, you know, look for what's next, whether it's other marathons, trail stuff, 
shorter stuff or just running for fun and not worrying about races for a while. Whatever works best for you uh, is what matters the most. So thank you for the question, Chantel, and good luck with your first marathon. Looking forward to hearing how it goes. Uh, next little batch of questions. It's, it's time. It's Mona time. It's, it's the, the, the sponsored by Mona portion of the, of the Q and a episode where she chimes in with her three or four questions, uh, just like she does every month. So the first one from Mona, how many hidden Mickey's did you find on your trip to Disney world? And do they give you something and a reward if you find them all? Uh, BTW, I love the put the pic you posted of both of you. Thank you for sharing that. Well, you're welcome. Uh, for those that, uh, weren't paying attention or basically if you weren't on, on Instagram, you may not have noticed. Um, but Rebecca and I celebrated our 15th wedding anniversary earlier this, this month. And, uh, we took a little four day getaway. Uh, the grandparents came, Rebecca's parents came to the house and stayed with Addison and the dog. So we could take a little, I guess it was three nights, four days, uh, to, uh, to Disney world and just kind of, you know, just get away for a few days. And it was, it was awesome. Uh, but one of the things that we've been doing for years at, at Disney world is look for hidden Mickey's, which if you, again, if you're not familiar, if you're not a Disney person, you probably have no idea what the heck I'm talking about. Um, but at various places throughout the park and, and at the hotels as well. Um, but you know, all across Disney property, the, the designers and the, the Imagineers and the, the people that are in, you know, in, in, in charge of putting, putting things together, they hide Mickey's like little pictures of, of Mickey mouse or like the, the silhouette of the mouse ears, uh, in different places throughout the, throughout the, the, the parks and on the rides and all the, all the places. And it's kind of one of those well-known secrets that they're all over the place. Um, some of them are pretty obvious. Some of them are not. Some of them I feel like that, that have been labeled as this is a hidden Mickey. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. like, I think you're, you're reaching, you're reaching there. Like that doesn't really look like it, but you you just want to convince yourself that it does. Um, but it's, it's, it's something that Rebecca and I enjoy doing. Maybe I enjoy it more than Rebecca does. I don't know, but I'm always on the lookout. I'm always looking for, you know, conveniently located, uh, parts of, of, you know, the scenery that all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, there's a Mickey mouse. There's a Mickey mouse. Um, did we find all of them? No, we didn't find, I, I don't even know how many of them there are. Like there's, there's literally thousands of them. I don't know. I assume there's literally thousands of them. Um, and there's definitely no reward. There's definitely no, uh, no, no special, special designations that you get for finding them all. I didn't keep track. Uh, I'm just always on the lookout, you know, and there's some that, that I know because we've seen them before. And so you always know that when you're on, it's a small world, there's a hidden Mickey here and you know, this type of thing. Uh, and some of them, you just kind of like stumble across. You're like, Oh wait, there's one right there. You know, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So, um, we found some, I, I'm sure we missed more than we, we found. Um, but, uh, it's just a little, little bonus thing that, that, uh, Rebecca and I often do when we're at the parks and, uh, definitely, definitely this week or that, that weekend that we were there was nice. Cause we didn't have a, a six year old trying to, to speed us around at different parts and, Oh, let's go do this and let's go do that. Like we could just kind of sit and chill and walk slowly and stroll. And, uh, when you're walking slowly and strolling, that's when you have a better chance I think to, uh, to find some stuff. So, you know, did a little hidden Mickey. I don't know how many new ones that we found probably six or eight, something like that. Uh, and then we saw obviously several ones that we've, we've seen before. Um, but always on the lookout, always on the lookout. Uh, next question from Mona does eating during a 13 mile run enhance performance? Uh, so very similar to Samantha's question from earlier. Um, you know, again, I I don't want to necessarily say that it did like it can it it give you a little extra boost no doubt um but but it's not something that i necessarily think you have to do it's not something that i do um you know but but again just because i do or don't doesn't mean that you can't or shouldn't right like 
I would, I would play with it, you know, play with it during your, your longer runs, Mona. And if, if having a little bit of, of something, some fruit or some, some, you know, sports drink or, or whatever, some type of, of fuel kind of helps you go, go with it. You know, um, I, I certainly used to, I used to be, you know, an eat before run type of guy and, and have some type of, of light breakfast and, and maybe even have some, some fuel along the way. Um, but since diving into the, the fat adapted side of things, uh, I just lean into it. I run easy. I don't burn that much, you know, glucose when I run, like I'm good. I'm good for 15, 18, 20, 22, like whatever. If I start getting up into 24, 26 miles, I might take some tailwind with me. Not necessarily because I need it, but because it just like breaks up the monotony of drinking water the whole time. Um, but again, not necessarily something that I would, I don't know, I guess I would recommend it, but not something that you have to do. And certainly not something that you should do just because I do it. Like play with it, try it different experiments. Um, but you know, try a little bit of, of, you know, something and see what, see what happens. See how your stomach responds. If your stomach doesn't respond too well, then yeah, you know, maybe not so much, or maybe you try something different. Um, but it's definitely, um, you know, person specific, individual specific. Uh, but I'm not, I don't think it would hurt your performance is something small, something that's, that's easily digestible. And it could, it could give you a little bit of boost. There's no question that it does, which is why on race day, I am more likely to have something especially on a, on a marathon day, I'm going to, I'm going to have some fuel, right? Whether it's liquid, whether it's potato chips, uh, whether it's, it's, you know, a, a little cookie or some, some candy, like 10 out of 10, I'm going to on race day. Um, because it, it definitely helps. It definitely gives you a nice little boost. So, you know, it, it, it helps depending on, I guess, what your goals are and what you're, what you're trying to accomplish with the run. So a lot of variables, I guess, involved again, both for Samantha and for your question, Mona. Um, Next to Mona's questions, why do I feel lower to the ground when I'm sprinting? It's like a bit of a squatting that makes me feel more in control. Is that normal? Um, I mean, I've never really stopped to think about it. I've, I've never something like, it's not something I've ever really like contemplated, but I suppose it makes sense. Like you're, you're driving, like you're, you're a little bit lower to the ground, a little bit center of gravity, a little bit lower, maybe. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess it makes sense as long as it feels normal to you and you're not hurting or you're not having any issues when, when you do your speed, speedier runs. Um, I, I mean, if it's normal to you, it's normal to you, right? So go for it. And it probably is normal. You probably lower your center of gravity just a little bit. Um, like I said, I've just never literally never thought about it, but I suppose it probably makes sense. So yeah, yeah, sure. It's normal. You're definitely normal, Mona. Definitely normal. Uh, last question. What's the new thing you've been trying as in running wise, actually cross that off. When is the apparel coming? There's, there's another question of clearly it hasn't been the priority that it could be. Um, it's, it's theoretically coming. I don't know. I mean, I don't have an exact date for you. Uh, if you look at my, um, my, my planner, my, my daily or my, my weekly to-do list, it's been on there for like four months or eight months or 12 months or probably longer than that. Even, um, it just, it just hasn't, I haven't made it happen. Uh, I need to, I need to touch base with Julie and kind of figure out where we are with, with some of the, the branding rebranding stuff that we've been working on, or at least I think she's been working on. I don't know. I need to follow up on that. Um, basically I need to do some of the legwork that I don't have time to do when it comes to putting a, a Ragnar team together. Uh, I need to just do some of that stuff for some of the branding stuff that has been sort of kicking around on the back burner for like the last two years and see if we can actually finish it up. And if we can, then we'll have some stuff to maybe do some, some apparel and some swag and things like that, make some things available and, uh, you know, go from there. But 
just one more thing on the to-do list that I haven't done that I should do that I want to do, but I haven't made it the priority that it needs to be, or at least that it could be at least that the priority that would make it happen. So it's coming ish when to be determined. I'll let you know. I'll let you know. But thank you for the questions, Mona, as always. Next question from Brian. How does one properly clean out their hydration pack and get rid of the taste of plastic? I don't know, Brian. Uh, Which is why when it comes to hydration packs for me, they're always, always bottle related. Meaning I can take the bottles out. I can wash them in the dishwasher. I can wash them by hand. Easy peasy. No factor. Um... When it comes to those of you that, and I'm assuming this is your case here, Brian, where you've got the, the hydration pack with the water bladder and the hose that comes through, and it's super convenient, super easy to drink from, but not as easy to clean, I don't know the proper way. Anybody who has advice, who's been down that road before, chime in, uh, let Brian know, go into the Facebook group and, and, and tag him or, or let him know or whatever. Um, what I've heard in, works in the past, and this is all hearsay, so I don't know. If it doesn't work... Don't at me or maybe at me so I don't continue to, uh, to propagate misinformation. But what I've heard in the past is that uh, the best way to clean out a, a hydration pack is to put, you know, put a little bit of water in there and like drop in like an Alka-Seltzer tablet, something like that, like a denture cleaner tablet, and just kind of let that bubble up and then pass that, that water through the hose. You know, it'll build up some pressure and you can just kind of open up the valve and, and, and send it through that way. And supposedly that does a great job of cleaning it. Now, I don't know if that does a great job of getting rid of the plastic taste or if that just helps to clean it when you have, you know, Gatorade or Tailwind or something like that mix in your pack and just kind of cleaning it out that way. Um, but I suppose it's worth a shot. I suppose it's worth a shot. Hopefully it works for you. If it does, let me know. If it doesn't, let me know so that uh, I can either double down on that advice or not give that advice in the future. But uh, good luck to you, Brian. And my advice, get a pack that uses bottles and you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> not helpful. I know, which is probably the story of most of my advice, right? Uh, next question from Joe, my man, Joe, uh, in, in, uh, in VA, Joe, the Marine, Joe Medeiros asks since COVID stopped in person, sorry, let me start that over. Since COVID stopped in person races, my running base has suffered. I've run three to five miles, maybe twice a week since my virtual Marine Corps last November. Uh, now races are coming back. And a buddy wants me to run a half marathon with him in a couple of weeks. Is that a bad idea or do you recommend a strategy for it? So, Joe, you know, like, it's maybe not the best idea. It's probably not the best idea. But I think you can probably do it, right? Like, let's look at the timeline. You ran 26.2 miles in November. So that's, you know, roughly six months ago. Um, And you've run maybe three to five miles a couple times a week since then. So has your fitness dropped? Yeah. Um, but as long as you've been relatively consistent with those three to five miles, can you gut out 13.1 miles with a buddy in a couple of weeks with not a whole lot of lead time leading into it? Like, yeah, you know, is it going to be pretty? Probably not. Is it going to be the the fastest marathon you've ever done before? Almost assuredly not. Um, is it going to be a race that you're going to remember for all of the great reasons? Probably not. Could you do it? And could you do it without like really beating yourself up? Probably. So, you know, I, I think that my strategy would be that, that, you know, you're not going out there to try to hammer. You're going out there to just cruise. Um, it's going to, going to suffer a little bit. You might do a little bit of walking at various points, or you might even want to, to do some strategic walking, you know, walking every mile or something like that from the beginning, not because you need it at mile one, but cause you'll be thankful you did at mile 10. Um, 
but just go out with no pressure. Maybe use that as a kickstart to get back into a little bit better groove. Um, and you'll be okay. You'll be okay. Um, again, it's not going to be pretty, but it's going to be, you know, probably, and I don't know this for a fact, is it going to be easier than boot camp? Probably. It's certainly going to be shorter than boot camp. It's going to take you, you know, maybe two and a half hours instead of two hours, but that's it. So, you know, you've done, you've done harder things. Um, I think you can do it. I think you can do it. Um, but you know, I would say again, you know, I would say use that as the, as the, the kickoff to getting back into a groove, getting back into a good routine. Um, and then hopefully, you know, building that base back up to where the next time you have a buddy that's like, Hey, come run this half marathon with me in a couple of weeks. It'll be a no factor. Like, yeah, all right. No big deal. Good, good to go. Uh, but hopefully all that works out for you, Joe and, and good luck. Uh, second question from Joe, uh, who is a better pilot you or Rebecca? Now this is, this is dangerous territory. You got me treading in here, Joe. And I, I actually uh, mentioned the question to Rebecca. Cause I was like, I mean, I'm pretty, I'm going to say I am, um, but I'm sure, you know, she would, she would argue with me. She's like, ah, oh, no, no, no. I think you are. So, uh, for those that, that are unaware of how this, this is such a loaded question, but a fun question. Um, and huge, huge debt of thanks to my man, Joe, um, who, when I, when I ran Marine Corps back in 2019, I said something on the podcast about going to go run Marine Corps marathon in 2019. And, and he reached out and he's like, Hey, yo, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Marine, I'm a Marine based at Quantico in VA, uh, which is obviously just outside of, of DC. Uh, we, you know, if you're coming up here for the race, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to, to have you to the base, show you around, take you on a tour, all that kind of good stuff. And I was like, yeah, sure. Absolutely. Like, you know, Rebecca's coming. Can she, can she come too? Sure. No problem. Yada, yada, yada. So like a few days before the race or a few days before we were heading up to, to DC, or maybe it was a week before whatever. Um, Joe sends an email and it's like, Hey, uh, I need your like social security number. I need some, some extra information. Cause, uh, I got an, a, an opportunity for you, but you need clearance. And I was like, all right. So, you know, we gave him the, the info and, uh, Joe is a pilot for the, um, and I don't know how many details I can tell, so I'm not going to go too deep into it, but he's a pilot of the Osprey aircraft for the Marine Corps, which are the, the, the aircraft that have the rotating blades. So they can, they can start off like a, like a helicopter, but then they can shift the blades down so it can fly more like an airplane. And, um, he's like, I, I booked the simulator, the Osprey simulator and, uh, for a couple hours. So you guys can come in and, and, and do some, some simulated flight stuff. And I was like, Oh hell yeah. So when we were there, uh, we got to, we got to both fly a little bit in the, uh, in the simulator. And, um, I got to land on the, on the lawn of the white house and Rebecca got to land in the, in the middle of the, um, the, the Washington nationals baseball stadium, which was perfect timing because while we were there, the Nats were in the world series. Um, so it was like the city was a buzz with nationals fever. And so she got to, to land the, 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 uh, the aircraft there. Um, and it was just awesome. It was awesome. Um, I think I flew halfway decent for a guy who had zero flight time going into it. Um, I think Rebecca did well too. Uh, and I think that both of us agreed that it was a lot easier to critique than it was to control. Cause like, as soon as you did one little, one little shift, one little, you know, half, half pressure turn or whatever, like things were just going sideways. Um, so Joe, I guess the question is who is the better pilot? Cause you were the co-pilot for both of us who, who did a better job of flying, but, uh, we still, we still, uh, uh, really appreciate that. And, and certainly uh, thank you for, for giving us that opportunity. I don't know who the better pilot you, Joe, you are the better pilot <laughs> hands. Like you are, you are awesome. And I uh, really appreciated that opportunity. Uh, but I am not going to say that I am a better pilot than my wife, even though I was a better pilot than my wife, uh, because I am also a happily married man who just celebrated my 15 year anniversary and would like to stay there. So yeah, 
I'm not answering that question. <laughs> but thanks for the questions, Joe. Hope your uh, your half marathon goes well. Um, and then, like I said, hopefully that uh, leads to getting back into the groove a little bit, building that base back up. And uh, I don't know, are you running Marine Corps this year as well? I uh, hope so. I'm I'm not. I would love to, but uh, uh, maybe one of these years we'll we'll get up there for another race or wherever you end up post service career. Uh, looking forward to, to hanging out again. Uh, but thanks for the service. Thanks for, thanks for your service. Thanks for the question. Uh, next question from Barb. Uh, what considerations do you have to take as a salty sweater? Should I be taking electrolytes to replace what is lost? What are the consequences of not addressing the lost sodium? My treadmill looks like it's been splatter painted. So, uh, Barb, great, great question. And, um, something that, uh, that, that I didn't used to think that much about, but the more I've gotten into running, uh, the more research that I've done, maybe the more research that's been done in general, the more I'm like, yeah, like, yes, you should pay attention to how salty of a sweater you are. Not that you need to like get a sweat test done to know exactly your sweat rate, but you know, just kind of the loose rule of thumb. Like if, if you're sweaty, you're doing a run, like, do you have the, the white crystals that kind of form on your, on your clothes or on your hat? Uh, when it dries on your skin, do you see the sparkle a little bit? If so, those are signs that you're losing a lot of salt in your sweat. There's nothing wrong with that. Like there's, there's no, there's nothing to be concerned about other than if you notice those types of things, you probably would be wise to increase your salt intake to help replace what you're losing because salt's an important thing for our body. And, and when I say salt, I'm talking about sodium, uh, potassium, uh, calcium, like, like some of the different salts, if you will, that are in our body. Electrolytes, you know, is another way of saying it, of course. Um, so replacing those things is important. Now, what I've found is that during my runs during the week, it's no big deal. Like I don't need to be super intentional about adding more salt. Now I do add salt daily to my water bottle, which I've talked about that a few times, but like my, my daily just sipping on water bottle throughout the day, I put some salt in it every time I fill it up. So I'm just getting a little bit of salt back in because I'm sweating all the time being in Florida, right? Like whether I'm running or not, I'm sweating. Um, but on my long runs where I do sweat out a little bit more, so I'm sweating out a little bit more salt than I normally would for my six mile runs when I'm going 15 or 18 miles, like, you know, two or three times or four times as much. Uh, I've definitely noticed that on those days, I either put a bit more salt into my water. So I'm getting a bit more salt in th- throughout my run. Or when I get home, I want some type of salty snack. So whether it's some bacon, whether it's some eggs, whether it's, you know, whatever, I put a little bit more salt on it than maybe I normally would. Not so much that it's not palatable, but have a little bit of extra salt because otherwise I kind of just kind of have a, like a lingering headache all day. And it took me probably a year or two to figure out that like, if I just take a little more salt in, I'm good to go. So I guess my, my question back to you, Barb is, do you have any issues after some of your runs that you can't figure out why, but like after a good long run in the summertime, you always have a headache or you're feeling lethargic or you're tired or you're nauseous or things like that. Those could be signs that you're losing too much salt during your runs and being a little more proactive either before, during, or after your run, or maybe even all three to replace some of those salts and electrolytes would help you feel better after your run. So something to play with. And, uh, if, if you remember back or, or if you missed that episode, um, back episode 906, which was right about the beginning of the year, somewhere early January, I think, uh, I interviewed Andy Blow, who's the, the founder of Precision Hydration, but he's also like a, like a legit like study sweat, like a sweat scientist kind of guy. And we talked about this stuff and some of the symptoms, and I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. Maybe you listened to it in January, but you kind of 
didn't remember it because it didn't really apply then because it was the middle of winter and sweating wasn't a, a big factor. Um, but going back to that episode and, and getting a little bit of an idea of like, oh yeah, I can try some different things. I can add some salt here, add some salt there. Um, might be something to help you help you out, but play with it, play with it. And, uh, you know, just kind of, I would say, you know, my, my perspective is if you're not feeling bad after runs, then you're probably doing it a good enough job replacing the salt throughout the day that you're okay. If you're feeling a little bit rough, then maybe add some more salt in and see if that helps. It helped me. And I stumbled upon it by accident, but once I put the piece together, I was like, Oh yeah. And anytime I finish a long run now, if I, if I get that headache or I'm not feeling great, I just go, go right to the cabinet. Um, salt up my water or, you know, fix a snack that, that I'm okay with it being a saltier snack and you know, good to go. Good to go. So something to keep in mind for sure. But remember that just cause you're sweating, like it's not a problem. And just cause you're sweating doesn't mean you're losing too much sodium. It's really, how do you feel? Because we all have different rates of sodium in our sweat and also different rates of sweating, right? You might be a real salty sweater, but you might not be a heavy sweater. So it might not matter that much. So it's all every, as per usual, no one size fits all here. Um, but don't be afraid to add a little bit more salt to salt to the mix during the summer months when you know you're going to be sweating more, no matter what your sweat rate is, because it's going to help to keep things in balance internally, which is a good thing. So thank you for the question, Barb. Hope that makes sense. Something to play with. And again, it's episode 906 with Andy Blow. Uh, if you want to check that one out, disruns.com slash 906, or obviously just find it in your podcast feed. A uh, handful of questions left. Look at me. We're, we're only not even quite to an hour yet. And we're already to the last five questions. So look at me, look at me being short, sweet, right to the point and humble too. Uh, <laughs> from Brian, can you discuss your transition from running five days a week to six and how you are managing higher mileage with one less rest day? So good question, Brian, but it's been a minute. It's been a minute because, uh, I, I bumped up from five days to six, like last January. So January of, of 20, whatever, 2020, uh, was when I bumped it up because I was trying to, you know, I had, had the goal of last year to run 2020 miles in order to do so. I knew I needed to run five, I needed to run six days a week. Um, and so I bumped it up then. So I'm trying, I was trying to think back. I went back and looked at some of my mileage logs, things like that. And a couple of things that I did to try to help make transitioning easier, um, was for, for I, I kind of had this idea like November ish that I wanted to run the year in 2020. And looking at the numbers, figuring out the math, like it was pretty clear that at five days a week, at the time I had available, things like that, it wasn't going to, wasn't going to work out unless I wanted to do like 25 mile long runs every weekend. And I knew I didn't want to do that. So kind of looking at the numbers, looking at the math, figuring things out, said, all right, if I'm gonna have to run six days a week, um, I need to kind of get used to that a little bit in the last several weeks of the year so that starting January one, I can dive into it and it won't be too much of a shock to the system. So what I did is I started to up the volume of my weekly mileage to where I thought I would need it to be when I was running six days a week, but only running five. So let me break that down a little bit. Cause that doesn't make sense to me. And I know what I'm trying to say. So I'm sure that doesn't make sense to you. Let's say for the sake of, of argument, I was running 30 miles a week at running five days, five days a week. So it doesn't necessarily mean I was running five miles or running six miles every day, but just to make the numbers easy, 30 miles a week. And I knew I wanted to add a six day in, and that was going to take me up to about 35 miles a week. So what, what am I going to do? Like, what's that going to look like? How am I going to make that work? Well, what I, what I started to do for, for several weeks was run, aim to get up to 35 miles a week, but still keep my only five days a week situation. 
So I was running 35 miles, you know, adding an extra mile to a couple of my runs during the week, going a couple of miles longer for my long run, whatever, making it work, moving my, myself up from 30 miles a week to 35 miles a week. Then when the new year hit and I wanted to run six days a week, I, I didn't try to increase my total volume. I just actually might have even decreased a little bit, started out running at 32, 33 miles a week, but I was running six days instead of five. So now all of a sudden, all those increases I did, those came down and then a little bit more even, but I'm running six days a week. And then after a couple of weeks, I bumped that up to the 35 that I wanted to be at. And I don't know, I probably increased it some as well, but like that was kind of how I transitioned into it. And it seemed to work because what ultimately ended up happening was that when I ran, went from five days to six, I was actually running less, even though I was running more, if that makes sense to you. And that just helped me kind of wrap myself around it and get, get used to the idea of not having, you know, two non-running days per week, only having the one. Um, and from there on, it's been, it's been smooth sailing. It's been smooth sailing. I do think a big part of it as well, that, that wasn't necessarily intentional at the time, but I think it, it made a big, big impact is that being a heart rate training guy for the last several years, like any additional miles I run, they're just easy. They're low stress miles. I'm not pushing the pace. I'm not pushing the effort. Um, so, so even though I was adding more miles, I wasn't adding that much more stress to my body. And, and so I think that's, I think that's the key, you know, to, to try to answer the question. I think if you can push yourself a little bit leading up to adding that extra day so that when you add that extra day, you're actually taking your mileage down from your other days a little bit to, 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 so that the volume stays the same, if you will, and then keep those runs easy. You know, even if you're not all in on the Maffetone stuff, like I am like during that transition period, when you're building up to get ready to, to add an extra day, and then maybe for the month or two months afterwards, don't do a lot of speed work. You can do a little bit. You can push yourself a little bit. You can run a race or two, but for the most part, keep that volume or keep that intensity relatively low on the scale as your body adjusts. And then, you know, six, eight weeks, your body will have adjusted. Now you can mix your speed work back in things like that and should be fine. And then the other thing was that in the early transition period, I wasn't afraid to, to take an extra day off here and there. It wasn't as structured. It wasn't every week. Uh, you know, I, I, Wednesday, Wednesday and Sunday were my off days. And then I went to just Sunday, but in that first month or so, there were a couple of few Wednesdays that I took, took an extra day off here, took an extra day off there. Or maybe it was a Thursday or maybe, you know, like, like I played with some things a little bit. I trusted my body. I listened to my body. If I was tired, fatigued, I maybe pulled back on miles, only ran a couple miles instead of the scheduled four, took a day off. Like I did all those things. And over the course of several months, it became non-factor for me to run six days a week. So if that's something you're thinking about, Brian, play with it, ease into it. Don't, I, I wouldn't advise to do it a cold Turkey, like just jumping right in, like ease into it back and forward, kind of make it a, a dance instead of a, of a stark thing. Um, and give yourself three or four months to really transition to being a six days a week runner. If that's, if that's what you're going to from five and you'll probably be fine. You'll probably be fine, but you know, play with it. Don't, uh, don't feel like it has to happen overnight and hopefully it'll be a smooth sailing for you. But, uh, thank you for the questions this month, my friend. And I, I certainly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, looking forward to some more next month. Last but not least, <laughs> last but not least, we got, I, I gotta need to come up with a new, like Tom, Tom went trifecta plus one this month, four questions from Tom, instead of his standard three, the, uh, the Tom rank quadruple rank quad instead of the rank in right? The rank quad. Does that, does that work? I don't know. Uh, but Tom's got four questions to wrap us up today. First one, do you have any tips for staying positive during a race? Yeah. Um, I mean, yes ish, but like 
the same time, not really. Like if things start to go off the rails, if things are not going well, if you're suffering, if it's hot, if it's, if it's, if you're having a rough race, it's really hard to stay positive. You know, going back to, um, the questions earlier from, from Karen. And I think it was Chantel about, no, Karen, was it Chantel? Yeah. Chantel, I had, had the question about first marathon as well. Um, but you know, what your training looks like leading up to the race goes a long way towards how the race goes. So if your training is, is going well, you have a better chance of staying positive because you have a better chance of things not going sideways. That said, things can definitely go sideways during a race, especially the longer the race you're running, the more likely, the more, the more opportunity you have for things to go sideways. So if that starts to happen, how to stay positive, I mean, it's not easy, you know, but, but I think the, the biggest thing that can have the, the biggest thing that's a little thing that can have the biggest impact is to try to keep smiling, right? Like find things to smile about, find signs, find, uh, scenery, find random toilets by the side of the road. Um, find spectators that seem like they're having fun, um, find little kids that are doing foolish things, like whatever things you can find to just, that that puts a smile on your face. And even if it's a forced smile, if you can keep smiling, like there is positive, you know, neurological benefits, mental benefits, mental health benefits of smiling. Um, so, so try to keep a smile on your face and that may not make things magically better but it might help keep things from spiraling, spiraling too far downward. So uh, trying to stay positive is tough if things aren't going to plan. But if you can keep a smile on your face, you got a fighting chance to, to keep things sort of level, which is sometimes sometimes that's got to be a win right there. It's just, you know, not having it be too bad is as good as you can hope for. So hopefully you don't have to, to struggle with that on, on your race that's coming up, Tom. But uh, keep a smile on your face. That's That's a big thing right there for sure. Uh, next question from Tom. If I add a supplement like tailwind to my water, do you think I can skip solid food during a marathon? And by solid, I mean gels and gummy like nutrition. Um, yes, in theory, in practice, maybe not. So what, what do I mean by that? Well, like in theory, you can get, you know, fuel is fuel, right? No matter, no matter what form you're taking it in, um, if, if you're needing fuel, if, if you're relying on some extra external calories for a race, which most of, even I do, again, I don't make it sound like I'm, I'm anti-fuel. Um, but you know, like if you need, if you're going to have calories during a race, calories are calories. And you might almost make the argument. And I think tailwind does make the argument that liquid calories are better because they're easy, more easily digested, which is not wrong, right? Like, like if you're taking in a gel, you're taking in a goo, you're taking in a piece of fruit, you're taking in anything that, that is not liquid already. The digestion process is that your stomach turns that food into a liquid so that it can be absorbed and then the energy can be transport transported. Right. Um, so if you're taking in liquid calories, the digestion process is already, already solved. Um, that said, you kind of need to know, or at least have an idea of how much fuel you're going to actually need because it can be, because it can be difficult to take in enough calories liquid wise, because sometimes that means that there's a lot of liquid sloshing around in your stomach, which isn't exactly ideal. Um, now maybe you can make your, your tailwind a little bit more concentrated, which can help to not have to take in as much fluid during the race. But at the same time, if it's too concentrated, your stomach might hit the eject button, which that causes problems as well. So there's, you know, you got to kind of play with that whole situation. You got to make sure that if you're going to do that, are you willing to, to, are you willing? And do you have the ability to carry enough fluids to last you throughout the entire race, not just from a hydration perspective, but from a fueling perspective, since this is the only fueling that you're taking in. So if you got, you know, a couple of things, a tailwind that are each a couple hundred calories, is that enough to get you through the race? Maybe, maybe not. How many calories do you need? 
kind of got to know that. Uh, and then last but not least, if you're going to need more calories, are you willing and able to stop during your race to refill an empty bottle, right? Because, or an empty fuel belt bladder, whatever the case might be. Because if you're not, then whether or not I think and I believe that liquid calories are enough, if you can't refuel or if your stomach can't handle that much fluid, it doesn't matter, right? Like then you're going to need to have some additional solid foods. So um, something to think about. Again, in theory, absolutely it's enough. In practice, maybe it's enough. And again, like a lot of these questions today, kind of depends on your situation and trial and error and what you're comfortable with and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, I don't usually carry any any solid food with me during a race anymore. Um, marathon, ultra, whatever. Um, I may take in some, some, something during, you know, from an aid station if the right options are available. Um, but as long as I've got my tailwind, I know I'm good. I know I'm, and I'm, know I'm willing to stop and refill as needed. So, you know, there's that. Um, but those questions you have to answer for yourself or those things you have to consider for yourself and then weigh the pros and the cons of going liquid, solid, both, uh, and then go from there. So good luck. Uh, two more questions from Tom. The next one, have you ever been caught in a thunderstorm while running? What did you do? Oh yeah, Tom, not only have I been caught in a thunderstorm while running and I don't like, I kind of said, say this like I'm bragging and I'm not like I've gone out into a thunderstorm to go running, uh, because I have, a, a not, I am not as afraid of thunder and lightning as I should. I have an unhealthy lack of fear of getting struck by lightning. Um, now I don't do that as much anymore. Rebecca is not a fan of me running in a thunderstorm. Um, but I, you know, like I'll take my chances, I guess. And, and again, maybe not so much anymore between being married and and having a kid. Uh, maybe I'm a little bit less likely to do it. Um, and in part, because I know that if Rebecca finds out that I'm going to get all kinds of crap for it and I ain't ain't nobody got time for that nonsense, especially since like, what's my argument going to be? Yeah. Well, you know, like I didn't get hit by lightning, so you should be happy. Like, that's, that's a piss poor argument. Um, so, so I've, I've been known to go out into a thunderstorm before to go for a run because I do enjoy running in the rain. Um, these days I'm probably not going to do that anymore, but if I'm out and it starts raining and there's a thunderstorm involved, I mean, more than likely I'm just going to keep running. Like if it's super close, like you can, like I've been out not running, but I've been out working in the yard before when a storm's been rolling in and like, I felt the, like the, the pulse of the lightning before. Like in that case, I'm going to head for cover real quick, you know, and maybe that's, that's running up next to somebody's house and just kind of getting underneath the, get on the porch or whatever. Like if they want to come out and, and ask me what the heck I'm doing, I point to the sky, like pretty obvious. Um, but otherwise, like if it's, if it's just kind of lightning in the area, like I'm probably going to keep running, um, probably going to try to head for home, cut my run short, things like that. Um, but like I said, I have a, I have an unhealthy lack of fear of lightning and I wouldn't recommend anybody do those types of things. Like if it's, if it starts lightning when you're out there, you know, head for, head for a shelter, head for a store, get inside Walgreens or get inside the McDonald's or, you know, get inside wherever, hopefully the storm passes. If not call for a ride, whatever you got to do. Um, but, uh, you know, do as I say, I'm pretty good at do as I say, not as I do advice, but this one, like really do as I say, not as I do. Um, so, so there's that, there's that, uh, last but not least, Last of Tom's 
three-pack plus one questions this month. What kind of potato chips do you like to eat during an ultra race? So uh, again, as I've mentioned before, my, one of my personal mottos is never say no to potato chips on race day um, because it's salt, you know, to get back to, to Barb's question and some other stuff that's been around about salt in the in Facebook group and things of late. Uh, I'm a big salt fan, you know, a little, little extra salt never hurt anybody. Uh, it's also a pretty simple carb. Uh, so it breaks down pretty quickly. It's pretty simple to digest carb carbohydrate situation. Um, so yeah, I'm always, I'm always keen for potato chips on race day. And, and ultimately I'm a beggar, not a chooser. You give me an option, uh, you, you, give, you give me some potato chips, I'm going to take them, you know? Um, now if I had my choice, I like, I don't know. I, I suppose that like the classic Lay's just salt flavored, nothing fancy is like legit. Cause the Lay's Lay's in general, you know, let's, let's, let's really dissect potato chips here now. Uh, Lay's in general, they're just, they're so thin they they break down. So like, there's, there's no effort involved in chewing them. There's no effort involved in digesting them. Like from, not that I eat a lot of potato chips, but like, if I'm going to go to the store, cause I want some potato chips, I'm not buying Lay's. I'm getting something kettle cooked, something that's got some, some heft to it. But on race day, you know, at 28 miles deep into an ultra, like, I don't really want some Cape Cod really good potato chips because like, ugh. I don't want to exert that much effort to chew them up and swallow them. I want the lays that just dissolve when they hit your tongue and you're good to go. So I guess I'd take the classic lays, but you know, and probably because that's the most likely to go around anyway, because that's, that's neutral. But if I had a choice, I mean, sour cream and onion would be up there. Maybe sour cream and cheddar. Um, I'm not a big like vinegar, salt and vinegar fan. Um, but I wouldn't say no to them. Um, but you know, just give me some Lay's, give me some cheap potato chips. I've had Doritos before, obviously not quite a potato chip, not bad. Um, but you know, the best part about eating Doritos is when you get all the, the Dorito gunk on your fingers and you get to lick that off. And during a, an ultra, that's a little, I mean, I'm not a germaphobe guy and I licked them off. Like I was, I was fine with it, but like, eh, that's a little sketch. Just give me the, some, some good, some good classic Lay's and I'm a happy camper. I'm a happy camper, but I'll take what I can get and, uh, not pitch a fit. Cause that's what we try to teach Addison. And that's what I try to try to practice when it comes to aid station situation, you get what you get. You don't pitch a fit. You thank the volunteers and then you keep it moving. So that's, that's my answer though, Tom, give me some, some classic lays. Good to go. Speaking of good to go, we are good to go with this, with an episode that uh, is, where, where are we at here? Like an hour and 15 hour 20. Eh, pretty, pretty good. If I do say so myself and I do say so myself. So, uh, thank you guys for the questions this month. Really appreciate it. Once again, if you want to get your questions featured next month or the month beyond that, uh, disruns.com slash Facebook is the place to, to go. Come join the party. Uh, crack a few jokes. Maybe find out that Thessaly's putting a, a Ragnar team together and you know express your interest there. Uh, but that's a good place to hang out. And you can also just find the group on Facebook by searching uh, the Disruns tribe. Come and join us. Hang out. Uh, and uh, you know, have some fun, and then get your questions answered or get your questions asked next month. We'll answer them on the podcast for you. Uh, and what you know, any, any feedback on today's questions? Tell me I'm crazy about something. I missed the mark. Uh, let me know at Dizruns on Twitter, at Dizruns on Instagram. You can also send an email to Dizruns at gmail.com. And of course, you can point your browser back to the show notes for today. We got memes and gifs for every single question. You know, going over and above and beyond for you guys. That's what I do. Even though most of you don't ever check out the show notes, but you know. I, I at least like the memes and Jeff. So they're there. Dizruns.com slash 947. There's also a couple links. There's also um, the comment section down there at the bottom. You can leave your thoughts, feedbacks, takeaways there. Uh, anything you argue with me, tell me I got something wrong, whatever. Uh, all that can be found at Dizruns.com slash 947. 
seven. And uh, with that, my voice is holding up, although it's fading. I, I had a cough coming, and it disappeared. So we made it through relatively unscathed, which is always the always the hope with these these uh, episodes. And uh, we'll see you next month for another one of these. We'll see you next week for the normal normal routine, normal quick tips, interviews, the whole nine yards. Uh, but until then, y'all, thanks for listening today. Thanks for taking me with you. Certainly appreciate it. Appreciate the questions. And uh, be well. Take care. Talk soon. See you guys.